and Montreal, absolutely nothing. If I knew Montreal was going to be that good and I had already seen Edmonton, I would have been I like, was on Montreal this week. Were you? Nice. Yeah. I'm, but... I wasn't for Montreal. Uh, we'll talk about it on the show. Yeah. I yeah, was yeah. 100% against the Elks. They okay. look like a dog. But I thought they would correct it. I thought they would. Uh, <laughs> they were so bad at the first <laughs> We'll talk about it. So frustrating. But, anyways, right. I went two and two with the picks. Better than 0 and 4. Like that a boy. When you're picking against the spread, there's a 50% chance you're going to get it wrong. That's true. And that's the thing that sucks. Yeah, it's not. Uh, and I felt for Chezzy trying to battle the uh, the over the entire game between Montreal and Edmonton. Oh, yeah. That, I, I've stopped. Maybe I'll go back to it and I'll, I'll add it in my picks. Um, but I'm not doing the over. I used to be Ugh. that guy. I used to be the over better. And it, it drives you mentally insane. <laughs> For those tough wake-ups. Stats are misleading. It's Marsh and Mellow. Major foul. Wake up to serious sports talk. He fist his head. It's Marsh. The CFL, baby. And Mellow. I love Canada. It's Marsh and Mellow. This is football. For those tough wake-ups. They're heating up. It's Marsh and Mellow. Coming your way, Hamilton. Wake up to serious sports talk. Gas tank going to be full. It's Marsh. In Canada. And Mellow. Why not, eh? It's Marsh and Mellow. Thank you, Canada. Everybody's doing it. Hello and welcome to Marsh and Mellow. Thanks for being here with us. As always, we do appreciate it. At Marsh and Mellow, at Kyle underscore Mellow underscore. I'm at TSN underscore Marsh. And of course, you are listening to the CFP podcast at CF Perspective is where you can find us on Twitter and Instagram. And it is brought to you by our good friends at Fox 40. Are you geared up for game day? Head over to fox40shop.com for Fox 40 gear, whistles, and coaching boards. Uh, Use the code CFP15 at checkout for 15% off of your order today a freshly vacationed i can't tell if he's suntanned because he's always slightly darker than i am kyle Mello <laughs> joins me on the other side of the zoom chat here kyle how you feeling after a nice little getaway i'm doing well i got about uh 25 mosquito bites uh but we're <laughs> uh, we're good it's the uh, consequences you pay for uh being in the woods for uh, a few days where did they get you because for me when i went to the cottage i came back yeah. with black fly bites to the un- like the the inside of my calf and i'm yeah. a, i'm a picker so they're still there yeah I, d- I just keep scratching them so i'm not a horrible scratcher the problem with me is and i always make sure with the bug spray uh spray my hands because i hate getting mosquito bites on my hands and on my knuckles and stuff because i will rip those like completely off so it's uh spraying the hands and the joints that yeah. like the elbow and the <laughs> knees you got to be careful because the, the joint ones will get you other than that like i was uh, i was pretty good that's good good to hear good to hear uh, as always we thank you for tuning into us here and having some fun my thanks to Mike Hogan for doing an Argos Bombers preview back on Friday in the first Friday edition of the A Block. Uh, didn't go the way of the Argonauts. We'll talk about that. We're going to talk about a lot of things to do with the Hamilton Tiger Cats. We're going to talk about what the hell is going on in Edmonton that I certainly didn't predict, but that Kyle seems to be a little bit more aware of than I was, despite the fact that I've been going through game film and watching a lot of things. Uh, it took me, unfortunately, for my game picks this week, two games of Edmonton being trashed to realize, oh, maybe this isn't what I thought it was. Uh, So we'll get to that coming up as well. Uh, But we do want to remind you as well, our thanks to our good friends at Sawdust City Brewing Company as they offer brewery fresh beer delivered directly to your door. You can visit their website at sawdustcitybeer.com, shop their wide variety of brews and learn more. And of course, use that promo code CFL during checkout to receive free shipping 
on your first order over $100. Shipping available to Ontario residents only must be of legal drinking age. My thanks, as always, to Rod Smith for giving us a new sound clip here that I can add to my narcissistic Marshall file. Ah, love it. Uh, that one goes along. The only reason that I'm thankful Nick Marshall is in the Canadian Football League uh, is because you always end up getting once in a while somebody like Chris Cuthbert or Rod Smith uh, yelling about Marshall makes the interception, Marshall into the end zone, and then I just grab it and save it in my folder forever. And I'm going to accrue those, Kyle. What I'm going to do with them in 20 years, I don't know, but you never know. You got to keep them around, right? Yeah, uh, it's just a rapid fire at your like a memorial where it's just like Rod Smith and Chris Cuthbert calling, uh, and there goes Marshall. <laughs> yeah. There goes Marshall into the grave. He's gone. Uh, but uh, yeah, it, it was Nick it Marshall was... buries the Ticats. <laughs> uh, it was uh, it was fast and furious, man. The Thursday nighter BC and uh, and Calgary feels like it was forever ago. But again, BC ends up saying Nathan Rourke, Nathan Rourke, Nathan Rourke. Game time decision. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see how Mike's elbow feels. And then Rourke ends up standing on the sideline the whole game as Michael Riley came out and played that game. And uh, he looked so much better, man. His arm was so fresh and he was throwing darts all over the place. And his offensive line was actually giving him some time. And I was just thinking this, I think, is what we were supposed to see at the beginning of the BC Lions Riley experiment in 2019. Obviously it didn't go that way, but let's do these games chronologically like always. And then we'll finish off. I'm sure with a nice little flourish of all things, Hamilton Tiger cats for you, but, (laughs) but BC Calgary uh, to me, Calgary is just, they can't get out of their own way at this point. They, they seem like they are such a backwards team at this point in terms of production the way they are trying to run some of their stuff just doesn't look like it has in the past. I'm confused by them, really. And it's it's the first time I think I saw from Steve Daniel of the CFL since 1966, if I'm not mistaken, that both the Alberta teams have started 0-2, which tells you how weird this is. We all at CFL.ca picked Calgary to win that game. Yeah. And it wasn't because we thought that Calgary was overwhelming or they were going to... We just statistically... They've never done this in the last decade plus. Start 0 and 2 and start 0 and 2 at home. So we just all took them because we're like, well, they have to bounce back, don't they? Without actually having any foresight or uh, looking into the future of knowing what was going to come, it was just I expect them to bounce back. And man, they did not. Yeah. So a couple of things on this game. One, I don't think the BC Lions can pull the cover over our eyes anymore with this Mike Riley. Will he start? Will he not start? Nonsense. And will he play? Ends up, you know playing every snap and obviously ripping the stampeders apart um so that was fun for the first two weeks let's stop doing that mike riley is <laughs> but are the, they breaking uh, any rules because this is what everyone is kind of talking about and again, no, it's I, okay because he's gonna he's playing every snap he has to play every snap now so yeah so like you're not fooling anybody anymore so i'm glad we're past that what if his elbow for some reason flares up and he sits out the entire week of practice and he's still listed as a game time decision and then one week he doesn't i don't believe them if he's on the roster he's playing yeah, I, I think that's the way that you have to prepare if you're another team. But I also yeah. don't I don't think that there's a huge amount of difference in the way that you prepare. Not to say that Nathan Rourke is of the quality and the level right now in his career of Michael yeah. Riley or his understanding. Because we saw Riley, even with a broken arm, essentially, in week one, can still pick you apart and throw ducks and still complete them if his receivers are going crazy. So, yeah, I, I just I feel like, though, like, really, what's the difference? It's not like you're preparing for, um, you know, Jordan Lynch. 
and Michael Riley, like back when it was yeah. in Edmonton where Lynch was only going to run. They were never going to let him throw the football. They're not two completely different quarterbacks. So, yeah, I think you just prepare for Riley. And if you get Rourke, you just roll with the punches like Saskatchewan yeah. did in week one. I think BC so far through the first two weeks of the season is definitely the surprise. Uh, we'll talk about the Alouettes later because I think they surprised as well. But BC's two games in and they've played relatively well when, you know, things looked like they were stacked against them, right? You just said it yourself. Everybody at the CFL, uh, CFL.ca picked against the Lions because they felt the Lions were going to fall short in Calgary. And BC, outside of a bad first half where maybe it was opening day jitters, they've looked really good. In the second half against the Riders, they almost came all the way back and pulled the upset. Um, But as for the Calgary Stampeders, I wrote in my article on the betting perspective when I was talking about this game, I said, few things in the CFL are certain, but it seemed over the last five years, one thing that's been certain, Dave Dickinson can find the answers when his offense struggles. Wasn't the case in in game two uh, of the season. I said on last week's show, I thought Cody Fajardo was the MOP. Bo Levi Mitchell is always a threat to have an unbelievable season and end up winning, you know, the, the most coveted award in the Canadian Football League. But I said he wasn't going to be able to put up the production. I had no idea he would come out and throw four interceptions in week two. Never done uh, it before. Never for, in, his, in his entire yeah. career in the CFL. He's never done that. Calgary in week one against Ottawa looked bad. They looked really bad. Um, Kadeem Carey, I thought in the second half, was doing everything in his power to hand the game to the Red Blacks. A fumble, a personal foul down the stretch of that game. And it's like, okay, we have to be able to fix this. Well, game two, the turnovers didn't stop. It came from the quarterback this time. Um, For Calgary, maybe this is where the, the page turns and you have to reinvent yourself. And there's nothing to say that the Ticats aren't in the same boat. When you look at those two teams, they've been very good over the last little while, but they kind of just stayed the course. They never, you know, were really pushing in free agency to get a star to bring into the team and really kickstart things again. Calgary didn't really do it. Hamilton didn't really do it. Now for, for Calgary, do you have the guys in house that can kickstart that Stampeders way of football again? I don't know, but coming out the first two weeks at home, and you fall in both games, it's a bad look on the team right now. Yeah, I think in terms of getting the big star, like Hamilton's brought in Jagger Davis and Larry Dean, and then they obviously... No, after, I'm saying after the lockout. Yeah, or, yeah, uh, yeah. Like going into 2021. Yeah. yeah, like 2021, like trying to, to invest further. I think the retirements hurt Hamilton, obviously, and we'll get to them. But um, when I, I look at Calgary specifically right now, just to, to wrap a thought on them, is that... Uh, you know, the free agency stuff has really hurt them. Like when you're playing against Toronto in week one and you're watching Eric Rogers catch a two point and Juwan Briskason, which prayers up for him. I hope that his knee is not that bad because that looked really scary uh, in this game this past week. But when you see those guys making catches, making plays, getting into the end zone and, and then you realize that, yeah, Markeith Ambles is a nice player. Josh Hoff is a nice player, but they're not of the caliber of, the Shaq Evans of the league and even Rogers, when he's down in that score zone, I mean, he's so yeah. long. Like you just, you put it up for him and his catch radius is, I love the two point conversion that McLeod Bethel Thompson threw him in week one, because he just threw it as hard as he could four feet above the defensive back's head. And it's like, well, Rogers is just going to be like Kevin Durant. Cause Kevin Durant, the secret with him in basketball is he can always get a shot off because he's seven feet tall. And so he can, it doesn't matter where he's on the court outside the three point line at the elbow in by the rim. 
no matter what, Kevin Durant is so long and so tall that he will just shoot over the top of you. Well, that's what Eric Rogers is as a ball catcher. Like, you can just throw it up to him. So what I'm saying is when you lose that, all of a sudden you start seeing Bo Levi Mitchell taking shots down the middle of the field to Richard Sandani. And it's like, Sandani's a nice player. He's a, he's a nice Canadian. But he's not Eric Rogers. Or, you know, Kamar Jordan. Yeah. When Kamar Jordan was a two or a three in that offense, he was unbelievable. But he's he's really trying to carry the load right now. And they're really trying to run their entire offense through him because it's either Ambles, Jordan, or Huff, essentially, at this point, with a couple Canadians sprinkled in there. Herji Mayala, I think, needs more targets. But at the same time, he was only four catches on seven targets this week for 50 yards, which is not bad. But, I mean, they they just feel like they're a dollar short when you're walking up to the till and the cashier says 1750 and you empty out all your change and you're, you got 1625 yeah. and you're like, ah, oh, shit, I don't have enough. That's what it feels like right now yeah. when they're, they're walking up to, to the cash. And I don't know how they change that because what Calgary does so well is draft develop and sign free agents that turn into people that you go, wow, I can't. And they do have Jameer Thurman and they do across the, the defensive line. Like Mike Rose, I think is becoming a really nice player. Uh, I think Deshaun Amos is a really nice defensive back, but the players that I just listed are all on defense and on offense. Yes, they got Sean McEwen in free agency. That's great. But your center's not going to impact the outcome of the game if nothing around him is working. Yeah, uh, I agree with you there. Did you have a problem with, not even a problem. Did you think that Dave Dickinson was trying to get at something uh, with his comments after week one? when he talked about Bo Levi Mitchell's confidence in his receivers, when they had to really dig down the depth chart because some guys were, you know, got banged up in the game, couldn't take snaps and Bo Levi Mitchell, he just looked off and he still looks off. So I don't know if week one kind of carried over to week two, um, but if there's a confidence problem in Bo Levi Mitchell with his receivers, then Calgary has a bigger problem on their hands. Yeah. And I, I think what this comes down to, and I think we, We've seen it in a couple of other places. Again, Hamilton is another one that I would say when Jeremiah Masoli is trying to throw the ball to Poppy White, which it's really hard for me to think that's not just Pat White playing receiver, <laughs> uh, but, which goes to show my age because there's a lot of people probably listening to this going, Pat, what the hell? Yeah, Pat, Pat White. Uh, but I, when you know he's trying to throw to Poppy White or he's trying to throw to Tim White or he's trying to throw to Marcus Tucker or he's trying to throw to Jalen Marshall, it's like those guys have been around but he doesn't have the chemistry with them that he does with Banks or Addison or even Ackland at this point. And you can see it when a quarterback is just not locked in on the way that a guy's body is going to come out of a break. And Bo looks like that with everybody, I would say, honestly, right now, other than Kamar Jordan. It, like it, that, And that might be the primary concern in that Calgary offense is that Bo just doesn't seem to know where people are going to come out or where they're going to go. And I know this, Kyle, and this is you know, one of those things that Low-key, I uh, took basically pictures of every page of the Calgary Stampeders playbook when I was there in 2013, and I still have the entire playbook in my basement. I've never shown anybody it, but once in a while, just to be nostalgic, I'll just flip through it and look. The the amount of option routes that they have in that offense with Dave Dickinson, like, it's, for me, I'm so glad that I wasn't given more reps in that training camp because I would have made an ass of myself because I had absolutely no idea what people were reading and where they were supposed to break off. Now I've, I've gotten older. I see more football. I see it from a different vantage point. And so I could probably have a better understanding. But at that point, when I'm like 20, I don't know, 21, 22 years old, and I'm going into a CFL training camp and I'm flipping through the 300 page playbook 
and every single page there's a route that has dotted line to the post dotted line to the skinny dotted line to the corner dotted line to the curl and it's like okay you have to know what somebody's body language is showing you when they're going to chop 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 and come out of it and come back to you and if you don't in that offense with that amount of option routes and those guys that are stepping up it's going to create inefficiency and it's going to create interceptions and that's how you get nine points against a bc Lions defense that yeah their defensive backfield looks really good right now but I still, I mean, nine points in the CFL is not acceptable when Bo Levi Mitchell is your starting quarterback. So, yeah, I think it's on the relationships. It is. Um, I will say this about not just, you know, this game, but across the CFL this year, we've seen yards from quarterbacks and from yeah. offenses, but not necessarily points. Teams are having a hard time finishing drives across the league. And it's, it's weird to me. Like the BC Lions only put up 15 points. Mike Riley throws for 342 yards. Like, that's crazy. You think the BC Lions would have, you know, uh, you know, 30 points if Michael Riley is throwing that many yards. Um, and then I just wanted to say too, congratulations to you for uh, Lucky Whitehead. You talked about him on last week's show, potentially being a difference maker over 100 yards receiving. Um, and then Brian Burnham, like those two guys might become the new one-two punch in the CFL in terms of just killing teams. Brian Burnham has done it many times before with Emmanuel Arsenault back in the day of the BC Lions when Arsenault was still, you know, one of the premier receivers in the CFL. So I'm looking at Lucky Whitehead and and I'm thinking, okay, he just bursted onto the scene and he made his mark. Um, But I would just like to see more points from from the BC Lions, from every team in the CFL. I just feel like scoring is down for some strange reason. I don't think the offenses have, have, have clicked in yet. Um, maybe for the defenses and it it comes down to mentality, what drives you, right? Like what drives a quarterback to, you know, give it his all and play his best versus a guy who's a middle linebacker. Well, a guy who's a middle linebacker, all he needs to do is hit somebody the first time and he's into the game and it's like, okay, I'm running sideline to sideline now making plays where for a quarterback, it's about finding rhythm and it's not really trying harder to find rhythm. It just naturally comes about, and sometimes you need time. And maybe the defenses are way ahead of the pace of the offense, so we'll see how that you know evolves over the season. Yeah, uh, the thing with Lucky Whitehead, by the way, and the reason that I I kind of believed that he might be what he is right now for BC through two weeks, and it, this is not to toot my own horn, it's just to explain kind of the thinking behind it, was that I liked, I mean, I watch all the games very closely, obviously, and I liked the way that he looked in Winnipeg. And he, to me, in Winnipeg felt like Brandon Banks when Kent Austin was coaching the Ticats, Ooh. where it was like, this guy is fast. He has hands. He but he's not people, really part of the offense. He makes yeah. people miss, but you're using him as a gadget guy in a reverse. And yeah. that's because in Winnipeg, Paul Appleese was like, I have Andrew Harris. I have Darvin Adams. I've got Walatarski. I've got Lawler coming into his own. Like, I don't need Lucky Whitehead. He's not going to get many touches. Let's save him for special teams and let's use him sporadically in the offense. But then he signs in free agency in BC. And my thinking immediately was, this feels like someone who another team noticed. No, that guy's way more than just a returner. And then they signed him in free agency. And again, I didn't even talk to anybody in BC about this, but I just, I saw the signing. I'm like, they probably saw what I saw. So I wondered. Yeah. And then in training camp, all these articles were being written out in BC by Matt Baker from their team website saying Lucky Whitehead scored another touchdown in the scrimmage today. And Lucky Whitehead made this great move and Lucky Whitehead this and that. And I started going, okay, they're using him, but I don't know where he's going to get on the field. I thought he would be the sixth receiver and he'd be a sub package guy. Depth chart comes out week one. He's the boundary wide receiver. Yeah. I'm like, I'm like, okay. And then he scores the long 75 yard touchdown in week one to save Nathan work his stat line for sure. Uh, and, and then you see him going to this game and he's, he's still balling out and doing his thing. So to me, 
he is essentially like Rick Campbell is to Lucky Whitehead what June Jones at this point was to Brandon yeah. Banks' career, where he has given him fresh life. Let me give you another name, you know, because I was looking at the production of Lucky Whitehead and Brandon Banks and the comparison is there because the trajectory of their career maybe are very similar. And maybe the trajectory of this player's career isn't the same as Lucky Whitehead's, but what he brings to the table is kind of the same. Um, I think this guy is a little bit of a better receiver, um, but Deontay Spencer. Yeah. Deontay Spencer in Ottawa was huge for the for Rick Campbell. And obviously Rick Campbell's not calling offensive plays, yeah. but still a guy that you can lean on to be one of the you know, guys that carry your offense. And and maybe, you know, Deontay Spencer, or sorry, Lucky Whitehead has become the Deontay Spencer of Rick Campbell in BC. Uh, so we'll see how that, you know, uh, you know, shakes itself out throughout the year. Uh, the last thing on Calgary here, Bo Levi, I just looked it up because we were talking about it. 55.3% completion rate. Uh, that's not going to win you any games. I, no. uh, unless you're Ottawa for some reason, and you can get like two pick sixes or something against Edmonton. But, <laughs> uh, all right, let's move on to Friday night football. It was Toronto. It was Winnipeg. I don't have much to say on this one, honestly, other than yeah. Winnipeg, Winnipeg's defense is unbelievable. Like really they, good. they, they're up front, their ability to get pressure, with four allows Adam Big Hill to roam around and allows their DBs to go hunting for the football. And uh, they are, I think that they've got an opportunity to be better than I even expected them to be this season and maybe better than they were in the three game run to the Grey Cup. And you might be saying, how the hell do you get better than winning a Grey Cup? No, I'm talking about the standard that they've set and the way that they're playing the game. Zach Alaros looks more comfortable than I've ever seen him. Like I'm real about this <laughs> ever. I'm not talking about, you know, oh, the last two years or when he first came in with Hamilton or he's never looked like this before. And his ability right now to buy time, scramble around their offensive line up front, like it is uh, just get used to the names because I know they're all guys that are used to being around in the CFL. But across the board, it's Stanley Bryant, right? It's Drew Desjardins, it's Michael Couture. Uh, the right guard I am blanking on, uh, Mar Jamarcus Hardrick is the right tackle. And uh, yeah, I forget the right guard right now. I'm going to hate myself for that. Uh, I'll find it on the website one second. But anyways, their, their line across the board is mauling people and they're just winning games in the trenches and playing smart field position. I mean, they're so complete right now that I, we have the number one in our CFP power rankings. If you saw that, that what came out on our Twitter and Instagram yeah. on Sunday. Uh, and the reason for that is they were unanimous. Like everybody's looking at them and saying, that's the most complete team in the CFL right now. They're not the best offensive team. They're not necessarily blowing you away with special teams. I think there's some other great players on specials, but their defense is overwhelming. And the rest of their parts, the sum of it all is they are the best team in the CFL right now. And Toronto, not an awful football team. Like Toronto's got a lot going for them. But Toronto looked like the little brother against Winnipeg on Friday night. Yeah, so a few things here. One, you mentioned it, the defense of Winnipeg. Patty Newfeld. Oh, I knew I was, I didn't even have to look it up. I knew it was going to come to me. Sorry, go, <laughs> go ahead, go ahead. No, I was going to say, you know, for, for Winnipeg, the, their defensive line, we saw it last week against the Ticats. And again, it's not just necessarily about the numbers and them getting sacks. It's the effect they have on the game. And the thought process that they put in the opposing quarterback's head. And I think that's what happened to McLeod Bethel Thompson. Um, but for Winnipeg, I think they're you know primed for another run. Um, I'm with you. I think Zach Kalaros has, has found a home in, in Winnipeg. Maybe he's not putting up the production that he put, you know, up in Hamilton, but he doesn't need to. No. He just needs to play like Zach Kalaros plays. 
you know, and, and at times make enough plays to win games. And Zach can do that. And he can do that maybe better than anybody in this league. If he has to make three or four great plays a game, that's going to win you the contest. He's going to do that. Yeah. Um, you don't necessarily need him to put up, you know, Michael Riley type numbers where he's throwing for 375 and four touchdowns to carry his team to, to win. Um, so yeah, for, for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers and Mike O'Shea, um, I think that team, and like you said, uh, you know, atop the power rankings on CFP, um, I think it's going to continue. I, I really like this Winnipeg team, maybe more so than I thought um, coming into the season. But now we could talk about the Banjo Bowl because I think Winnipeg and Saskatchewan through the first two weeks of the season have proved they are without a doubt the best two teams in the West. Yeah, in, in the league at this point, I think Montreal yeah. and Toronto are nipping at the heels, but it's in the entire league. And the, I was wondering about this as I'm watching the first two weeks because Winnipeg beats Hamilton 19 to six. And in week two, Winnipeg goes on to beat Toronto by a score of uh, 20 to seven. So it's the exact same spread. But it's, I mean, you're looking at 13 points difference in both those games, but both times they're not getting above 20 points. But when you have that defense and you have that offensive line that's moving people up front and playing just straight up more physical than they are, like, I'm telling you, I understand that, that fans watch the game and think like, oh yeah, they're physical. I'm telling you, like, record the game on DVR and go back and just watch every play in the offensive and defensive line situations. Kyle, the third play of Hamilton at Winnipeg, Nikola Kalinich is a big dude, right? Like, yeah. he, he's a freaky, large human being that we always talk about as being this, like, big, rough and tough fullback. He got chucked by Jackson Jeffcoat in a way I've never seen Nikola Kalinich <laughs> get thrown before. And it's funny because, like, Nikola Kalinich has this schoolyard bully thing where when somebody's smaller than him, like Ed Ganey on Saturday night, He'll attack him and bury him in the ground, and Dwayne Ford talks about it on the replay, and we all go, yeah, tough football player. Go find Nikola Kalinich against Jackson Jeffcoat and Willie Jefferson because those guys owned him. Like, the whole night, they, they chucked him around. So you're taking your most physical player, and you're having him thrown around by an entire team of more physical players. That's what Winnipeg is. Like, people need to realize that's why they're winning games. And it makes me wonder if they ever need to score more than 20 points to win a football game. Because I, I honestly, the only way right now, and I know I'm going to have to eat these words because inevitably it's going to happen because the CFL is <laughs> crazy and we always get these one-offs. But the only way that a team is going to beat Winnipeg if their defense is playing really well is if Brady Oliveira just coughs up the football and it goes the other direction for a touchdown a couple of times. Or like if Zach gets hit and the ball pops up in the air and somebody just happens to be there and it goes the other way. Because Ottawa should not have beaten Edmonton. If Shai yeah. Ross doesn't pop that ball up into Abdul Kenna's hands, like Ottawa doesn't win. And then we're still just saying, yeah, Ottawa's trash and their offense is terrible and they have a bye week and we don't think anything of them. Ottawa's but, defense is bad or offense is bad. Yes, their offense is. And we know this and Ottawa's <laughs> defense is good. Mike Benavides yes. is a very good defensive coach, but they're not as good as they looked in that game because they got yeah. gifted a couple of scores. What I'm saying is for Winnipeg, how are you supposed to beat them when their defense is that good and their offense is that good at controlling the football on the ground unless they just cough up the football a couple of times, give you a short field, and you capitalize? And that I really, that's the only way I can see a team beating them like 25 to 20. Now, you mentioned Labor Day and the Banjo Bowl. Saskatchewan, I think, is that team that's going to be able to score points against Winnipeg's defense 
and get that to a, a low twenties. Like if the over under in that game was like a 45, I'd be like, Ooh, like, I don't know, you know, where that's going to go at. Cause both those defenses can get after it, but the game's coming up here. Winnipeg is at Toronto in week three. I expect them to just go in there, take care of business, get the job done. Uh, Saskatchewan is uh, hosting Ottawa. That's that should be a romp. If Cody Fajardo is on, on that night. And then in week four, the only one before they get to Labor Day in the Banjo Bowl, you have got Winnipeg coming home to play Calgary, which, again, if that defense can get after Bo because the offensive line can't protect him all that well, the receivers get covered down, they're not going to have to score more than 20 points to win that game. And Saskatchewan has a bye in week four. So there's potential for us to get to Labor Day with Winnipeg and Saskatchewan being undefeated, which would feel a hell of a lot like an SEC football game where it's like, Alabama and Georgia meet at the end of the regular season and they're both undefeated because they're playing inside the same conference and they're almost mirror images of each other. I already discussed this, but let's play out a situation later on in the season. Um, I said Cody Fajardo is my pick for MOP. Mm -hmm. Let's say Zach Kalaros continues to produce and Winnipeg keeps rolling. All of a sudden, a guy who many thought was done in the Canadian Football League and went to Winnipeg and, oh, he's going to be the guy to try to give some sort of offensive punch to Winnipeg's offense because Chris Strebler is not a pocket passer and not consistent enough for Winnipeg to do anything in the playoffs. Well, guess what? He went to Winnipeg and they won a great cup. And now he might come back and, you know, push Cody Fajardo for the MOP. So we'll see what happens. Um, I think if you're Winnipeg and you're a Blue Bombers fan, you should be comfortable in the team that you have. Because I think pass rush, as we've seen in the two Ticats games, um, bad offensive line play, maybe a cohesive offensive line isn't really a thing in the first four weeks of a season when you didn't play the previous year. Yeah. If your defensive line can get pressure like Winnipeg can, all of a sudden you're talking about a team that can start reeling off wins and, and produce and win games simply by getting pressure on the opposing team's quarterback and putting them behind the eight ball and forcing them to be a passing team. You know, I believe John white in this game had over hundred yards rushing uh, for the Toronto Argonauts, but you know, for, you know, Toronto, it was their offense could not find any sort of consistency. Um, so I, I think Winnipeg is definitely one of the best teams in the CFL right now, probably the best team in the CFL because yes, it was two years ago, but you ain't the champ unless you beat the champ and yeah. nobody's beat the champ yet. So. Yeah. You're right about John white, 12 carries for one eleven, he 9.2 average, 9.2 average. And I heard Ryan Dinwiddie after the game say that he wishes that he could have got the running game going a little bit earlier. Cause then he might've not had to rely on the throwing the ball around, but do you um, want to talk about the other side there? Um, I just one point for the Toronto Argonauts. What the hell happened to McLeod Bethel Thompson? This is the story of McLeod Bethel Thompson. He looks fantastic. He puts up crazy numbers, but he's not consistent enough. That's all it is. Now that Arbuckle is back in the fray and he, you know, is was playing again for the Toronto Argonauts. Is he likely to start in week three? We'll see. I think he does start in week three. Um, But how do you go back to McLeod Bethel Thompson? Because if you go back to him, All you are are the 2018 and 2019 Toronto Argonauts again. You're going to get five wins on the season. Yes, you're going to flash some numbers. You're going to get 26 touchdown passes, potentially lead the CFL. But it's like, yeah, context matters. And maybe they weren't behind a boatload of points uh, in week one. And McLeod Bethel-Thompson made enough plays to, to win the game. 
But how do you come out in week two and just get shut down like that? Winnipeg's defense, like I said, is very tough. But for McLeod Bethel Thompson, the first four games of this season is so important for his future uh, in the CFL and being a starter again. He has the, you know, pretty boy backup quarterback that everybody's wanted to be a starting quarterback in this league for so damn long. And he went to Ottawa and the season got canceled. We never got to see him play. Now he's in Toronto, training camp, hamstring injury. Okay, he's the backup. Well, now he's a starter. Can you get that job back from him? I don't know. I loved the uh, the question from I think it was Sarah Orleski maybe that was doing that game Winnipeg Toronto on the sidelines. She said, how's the how's the hamstring doing? And he's like, oh good. And I'm like, yeah, I saw a video of Nick on his Instagram that he posted of him back squatting 500 pounds. <laughs> and I was like, I'm pretty sure the hamstring's good. And that's not a criticism of Sarah. It's just funny that like I saw that video, and at that point he was still on like basically sitting out or listed as the backup third string. And I was like. How, how are you not playing? Like you're supposed to be the one that's starting for this team. You're back squatting 500 pounds. If you, if I have a lower body injury, I'm not back squatting 500 pounds. I mean, I'm not back squatting 500 pounds ever, uh, yeah. but you get the idea. Like I was amazed that, that he was not starting when he was doing that. And the point of me bringing that story up is he's supposed to be the starter. Like Ryan Dinwiddie came in with him essentially being the starter. Like they, they engineered it to be able to get him there. I mean, hell Kyle, we had, we had Dinwiddie on our show on radio and we asked him when Arbuckle was coming up in free agency what the plan was here it is Nick Arbuckle makes a lot of sense so we thought we would just say if Nick Arbuckle is your first choice just stay silent for the next three seconds that way you can't get in trouble and we have an idea yeah I got you (laughs) right, very good we got the answer that we needed (laughs) so we didn't want him to get fined by the league for tampering or anything (laughs) like that but we wanted to get the answer and he gave us the answer he wanted Nick Arbuckle so when we get Nick Arbuckle uh, in Toronto, it's like, okay, this is the plan. Now let's go. And then, he, like you say, he gets dinged and McLeod Bethel-Thompson comes in and looks good. But the, the problem with Macbeth is that, as you say, the consistency, he can make every throw, though. Like, that's the problem is because when you're watching him in practice and you watch his release and you see the camaraderie he has with the guys – you see him and you're like, that person should be starting. There's a reason why he's been picked up by so many teams across so many different leagues because he entices you every time. You're like, that's, yeah. that's a really serviceable, good, talented quarterback. And he's not even old. Like, you think he's old, but he's 32. And so you're looking at him, you're like, this should be sustainable. He should be good. And then he throws you a game like that that's 70 yards passing. And you have to pull him and put in the other guy. And it's like, well, that was your opportunity, right? So now Arbuckle has to get the start. Because you can't go back to your Argonauts fans in your home opener and be like, hey, good news. We're starting the guy who had 70 passing yards last time you saw (laughs) us play football. Go Argos. Like, no, you have to sell Arbuckle. You have to put him out there because that was the original plan. And Macbeth will go back to being the backup. And at some point, if Arbuckle gets dinged or if Arbuckle has a tough game, he'll come in and he'll throw for a billion yards. And then we'll be having this conversation again later in the season going, well, I don't know. I mean, McLeod Bethel-Thompson's got a lot of ability. And yeah. then if McLeod Bethel-Thompson gets the chance, he'll go two games and then he'll throw another 70-yard dud. And then you'll realize, oh, no, the whole plan the whole time was to go to Arbuckle. So this is the dynamic that they have created for themselves. My hope is that Arbuckle just takes the job and runs with it. Or if he struggles, they give him enough of an opportunity to learn from his struggles and get better and stay as the starting quarterback of the Argos. Because I hate when organizations forget what the plan was. The plan yeah. was Arbuckle. Now you have Arbuckle. If Arbuckle's healthy, play Arbuckle. And even if he makes mistakes, 
play Arbuckle until you can't play Arbuckle anymore because yeah. that was the plan. And just they just give up so quickly and shrug and go, oh, I don't know, that looks cool. And then they bring in the backup <laughs> and he makes a couple of throws and then he's bad again. And we're like, no, just stick with the plan. Yeah, and I think the plan for, for Ryan Dinwiddie at the beginning of the season kind of got you know screwed up because the Argos won. I'm not saying Dinwiddie didn't go into week one thinking his team was going to lose um, or hoping his team was going to lose because obviously that's crazy. But I believe he thought, okay, Nick Arbuckle, let's say the hamstring problem was a 10% issue. Right. And he's like, okay, we're going on the road. We're playing a good football team, supposedly, a, fo- a good football team. We might get hammered. Let's just stick the guy that nobody has any faith in, but he can kind of throw the football and he has a flash game every five games. So let's put him out there and see what happens. And we'll go with Arbuckle in week two if McLeod Bethel Thompson fails in week one. Well, McLeod Bethel Thompson goes out and they Argo shock the world and win week one. Well, now you can't go and start Nick Arbuckle. The dude just won you a game that you weren't supposed to win. So now our buckles in after McLeod Bethel Thompson, you know, fails in, in week two. And I'm with you. I think it should be him from here on out, unless he has a Bo Levi Mitchell type game where he throws four interceptions, which let's say probably won't happen. Um, But yeah, I'm with you. I think the Argos had a chance to, you know, follow up with another good performance. I had, I had the Argos plus the points. I think it was six and a half um, in Winnipeg, just because, I like the way the Argos looked week one on both sides of the ball. It didn't come fruition in week two, but we'll, uh, you know, we'll see what the Argos are with Nick Arbuckle. He wasn't fantastic when he came in. He was 10 of 19 with an interception. Um, but Nick Arbuckle, this is, this is your job now. So yeah. if, if, if McLeod Bethel Thompson is playing football again at some point this season because you, you're struggling, then the Argos have a lot of explaining to do. And are you back to square one? I don't know. Yep. Yeah. It's a good question. And again, that is exactly where they're at at this point, but I mean, their, their defensive line is still fun in Toronto. They still got lots of things to look forward to, but Winnipeg's the better team. So I expect Winnipeg to handle that matchup coming up in week number three. Marshall Ferguson here for my friends at Forced to Joni. Some of their specials and features going on over the next couple of weeks. Fantastic. You're going to want to check them out. Forcedtojoni.ca. They got the triple bogey contest giveaway. $5 tall cans of triple bogey lager and amber. That stuff is delicious. Every triple bogey sold will be a ballot into a draw to win some great golf prizing, including a grand prize of a custom triple bogey golf bag. They've got lamb spadini on the barbecue on the patio. Once every couple of weeks, you can follow them on Instagram for updates at F-O-R-E.S-T-A-G-I-O-N-E. That's at four dots to Joni on Instagram. They got a new summer drink menu that's going strong, ending in the fall, and daily drink deals such as Sangria Saturday, personal favorite of mine, Corona Buckets, and $9 classic cocktails. Let's move on to uh, Edmonton uh, and Montreal. This, this was an interesting one because you – you took Montreal, and I on CFL.ca took Edmonton. Yeah. And the reason that I took Edmonton was there's no way they're actually that bad, right? <laughs> right? They, they can't possibly. No, there's no way. Trevor Harris, Jamie Elizondo, Greg Ellingson, Darrell Walker, uh, Armonte Edwards, James Wilder Jr., uh, Grimes. They got Mincy on defense. They got Jonathan Rose. They got Kwaku Boateng. They got... They got Sean White. They got Hugh O'Neill. They got uh, Noel Thorpe. I, on and on and on and on. Coaches, front office, players, offense, defense, special teams. Whatever happened in week one, I'm like, ah, that's just some weird week one stuff. There's no way. And I'm not saying it was the exact same, 
but it was a different version of the same mess. It was it was so bad. And the one play that jumps out to me that encapsulated everything was <laughs> the play that Trevor Harris ends up fumbling the snap when they get down inside the score zone with an opportunity to put a touchdown up on the board. And the reason this play jumps out to me, Jamie Elizondo is a first-time head coach, and I, I have full confidence in him. I've believed in everything that he's done in his CFL career, and I'm not to the point where I'm saying, ah, bad head coach doesn't deserve to be there. But you said that he had one of the worst CFL coaching debuts in the history of the Probably league. the worst. Um, and the reason, and we got a couple of funny tweets about that where people were tweeting back and being like, I don't know, in 78, I saw that. We're like, okay, we weren't alive then. So we're just going based <laughs> off of what, what we know. And, uh, and that was one of the, in terms of hype, and belief, and opponent, and then the results. And quality of roster. Yes. I yeah. believe Edmonton has the best wide receiving core in the Canadian Football League. When you can have Darrell Walker, Greg Ellingson, and Armonte Edwards on the outside, Devon holy bleep, that's a headache. Yeah, like, Devon Smith the team looked great. loaded Sh- Shy Ross, like, Shy Ross looks really good. Uh, like, they, they've, yeah, they've got so many different, and James Wilder Jr.'s running the ball hard for them. Like, he seems And you dead. can't score a point. They don't even score a touchdown <sighs> in week one. It's, I feel so bad for Connor O'Neill here at CFP because he was he wanted them to be the Elks so bad. And he said, if you're the Elks, I will buy my entire wardrobe will be Elks team gear and I will become the biggest super fan. And he hasn't exactly put his money where his mouth is, but he has been an Elks supporter online and he is in pain right now. Because when we sent out the power rankings of the Elks dead last year on CFP, he said long trombone sliding sadly noise. Because that's the way that it feels right now if you're an Edmonton fan. Uh, and the reason that, you know, I bring up all of this about the play that encapsulated everything and Jamie Elizondo, uh, get back to this for a second, is just that I always thought that Elizondo was, and I still do, but so well organized and uh, there's never a T that's not crossed or an I that's not dotted. And then you see this play where they get inside the score zone where they're struggling and they take forever in the huddle forever like for there they don't break the huddle until there's nine seconds left and i'm like okay that's fine if you're just quarterback sneaking but if you're quarterback sneaking like was it the substitution that delayed you so long was i'm like this is rudimentary stuff that you just have to understand how to do in the cfl game that i know they do they understand it but it's the execution that just kills me on this they take forever to get people in the huddle Harris is looking around to the sideline, trying to figure out who's coming in, who's going out, what's going on. He gets to the line of scrimmage. There's like five seconds on the play clock. He starts telling everybody to go. And then the snap comes up and he fumbles it and they fall on it. And I think the the commentators were saying something like, you know, it's not that hard of a play. You should just go in there and sneak. But I, I think I'm fairly certain from watching this, they were planning on giving a little handoff on a reverse going the other direction around the end to Darrell Walker. And the reason I say that is Trevor Harris was never in a stance to squat down and actually go for a quarterback yeah. sneak. So part of the reason why he ended up fumbling the snap was that he was trying to stand up tall because he was trying to get the snap and turn sideways, hand it off to Darrell and get around the edge. Well, that explains why it took so damn long in the huddle because they're trying to call this play that's different than just a quarterback sneak. So now they're trying to get the right people in. And right before the snap, if you go back and watch it, the receivers on the opposite side that were going to be the lead blockers for Darrell when he came around that direction, they weren't on the line of scrimmage. So they have two receivers running up to the line and trying to figure out whether they're on the line or off the line or not sure. There's another time in the game where Edmonton has receivers on the line of scrimmage 
and Trevor Harris waves for one of them to like move into the backfield. And then he does. And it becomes a legal formation with no end procedure. And it's just like, what is happening? This is supposed to be just such a button down offense that knows where they're going at all times. And the first play of the game was so typical Elizondo and Harris. It was just spacing, right? Like if you play Madden or NCAA football, you know, the play called spacing, everybody basically goes to a soft spot, sits down, turns around at five yards and the quarterback puts it on you. And it's like, I've seen Trevor Harris run that a billion times. And he does it the first play of the game. I'm like, good. Okay. They're getting him into a rhythm. They're figuring it out. And then it was just like execution mistake, lining up incorrectly, missing a throw here, lack of protection. And they are, I feel very confident saying this after watching game through too closely. They're not like they're bad. Like Edmonton is bad. And I thought that they were going to be the best team in the CFL right up there with, I didn't necessarily have Winnipeg there. I had Hamilton yeah. there, but I mean, Hamilton and Edmonton, I had going to the great cup this year and I'm looking at them both now. And I'm like, they are fundamentally flawed teams that are being jumped over on mass right now in the standing. Yeah. So over the last little while in the Canadian football league, what have we seen? We've always seen a West crossover team to the East division. This might be the first year where that doesn't happen. Yeah. Right. Uh, for Edmonton. Now they're in a fight. And they're in a fight with the team that they share a province with, right? Because BC looks a lot better than I think a lot of people thought, right? And obviously it's contingent on the health of Michael Riley, but a lot of CFL teams can say that. And we were doing our power rankings and Calgary was seven. Ottawa was eight. Edmonton was nine. I put Edmonton as the worst team in the Canadian Football League through two weeks. It was very hard for me not to do the same with Calgary. I almost had those two Alberta teams as eight, nine in the CFL, just because, Hey, Ottawa's one and Oh, and they're the second worst team in the CFL. Like that doesn't make a lot of sense, but they beat supposedly the worst team in the CFL. Like for Jamie Elizondo, you have to fix this and you have to fix this fast because in the West division only with 14 games, if you fall three games out, you know, through, you know, three weeks, then you have a massive problem on your hand where, you're supposed to be the offensive guru. And through two weeks, your offense has looked bad, beyond bad. Uh, so I'm just looking at it right now to try and see chronologically, because this is something that's really been weirding me out about um, Greg Ellingson to start this season is he feels non-existent. Like all we've talked about the connection of Elizondo and Harris and Ellingson and Darrell Walker is doing his thing, getting lots of touches, being pretty effective. Uh, but the first touch for Greg Ellingson in the first game against Ottawa, Kyle, uh, that came with 14.03 left in the second quarter. The entire first quarter, he didn't get a touch. Like, he didn't get a target. Yeah. So that goes, to, and then his next target didn't come until the fourth quarter, at which point he had four targets in the fourth quarter. So he had one touch, one target in the second, nothing in the third, nothing in the first. And this is against Ottawa. Like this is against a team that you should be just running up and down the field on with Ellingson and Walker. And yeah, Benavides threw some doubles and did some different creative stuff to try and take Ellingson away because he knows how good he is. But you can't not give him more than five targets and you can't ignore him for two quarters completely. So that was week one. And then Ellingson in this past Saturday's game, his first touch comes with 8-11 in the first quarter. That's not awful. He gets one touch in the second quarter at the 14-minute mark. None in the third, three more targets in the fourth. 
Like, you can't go full quarters without yeah. targeting Greg Ellingson. I don't understand what's happening there. Maybe teams have just decided, you know, kind of like the Bill Belichick thing in the Super Bowl against the Rams way back early in the 2000s, where he just said, I'm just not going to let Marshall Falk beat me. I'm going to take away this one player. And let's see if Darrell Walker and Armani Edwards can beat us because we're not going to let Ellingson. Maybe that's what teams are doing. I don't know enough about defensive football and rotating coverages to understand what teams are doing right now with Montreal and Ottawa to him. Yeah, But that doesn't make any sense that Greg Ellingson is being ignored for complete quarters at a time in Edmonton right now. Yeah. Um, as for, you know, the, the failures of Edmonton, especially offensively through the first two weeks, they draw along the same line as I think the Hamilton Tiger Cats, where the quarterback looks a little off with throws, timing. And I'm talking about just the quarterback and Jeremiah Masoli and, and, and Trevor Harris. They look just a little off. But collectively, as a group, they look way off. And it's not helping the quarterback, you know, tighten things up in terms of getting into a rhythm. There was a play in week one um, where he threw a corner route to Mike Jones. And I thought the throw was serviceable. I thought Mike Jones could have made a better play. But Mike Jones just loses where he is on the sideline and doesn't even come close to getting a foot bounce catching the ball. And I'm like okay, something's wrong here, like just rhythm wise. And I'm with you, like the, the lack of production, like one reception for one yard, like for one of the, I would say top, what, six, at least wide receivers in the yeah. Canadian football league. Like that's, that's kind of bad. Armani Edwards, supposedly, you know, a free agent signing that was supposed to be the finishing touch to this grand new offense that you have. And he has eight yards receiving. Like what is Jamie Elizondo doing to get, the stars of their offense more engaged in the game. And I don't know, to be honest, and I always rail against this where teams don't stick to the run long enough. James Wilder Jr. 15 carries like that's, you're running the ball a lot when you're, you know, passing game isn't really getting into a rhythm and it's not <laughs> like your running game is turning into points. Cause it's not Wilder needs to, st- I hate being this guy. Cause this sounds like just like old white person radio, <laughs> uh, but James Wilder jr. Needs to stop doing the flex and hold the ball out in front on every, first every down. time because <laughs> and, and I don't have a problem with him doing it. Like if you just want to like take a couple of steps forward and you know, cause people always like jog forward and are like first down. If he wants to do that and just like flex and drop the ball, that's fine. <laughs> it's the fact that he holds it for like seven seconds <laughs> and waits and waits. And the waits. play clock's going. Yeah. And like, it's awkward <laughs> and like, we're ready to move on to the next play. And he's just like, did you guys get it? Did you get the picture? Did you get the picture? You got it? Okay. All right. And then he, he goes back to what he was doing, you know, playing professional football. But um, I ju- it's funny though, because since Saturday night, when I watched that game, I've just been imagining James Wilder Jr. Wandering around the house, doing the flex and point after like putting out the garbage, right? Like yeah. just celebrating the little things, wandering around the house. Like he, <laughs> he realizes that the toilet paper roll has been put on backwards and he flips it and he just stands in his own bathroom doing the, <laughs> doing the pose. He, uh, he, uh, you know, properly uh, feeds the dogs three times a day. And at the end of the day, when he realizes he did it correctly, he flexes and points. I'm like, he must celebrate the smallest things in life and just be like, it, it's honestly like in coach Carter, when Samuel L. Jackson does the tying of the shoelace move, right? Like when he's just being yeah. a complete idiot and he's like, look at that bow. Woo! I tied that bow. Look at that. Yeah, can I get something for the bow? Are you crazy? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, like, yeah. When he does that to Timo Cruz, I'm like, every time I see Wilder <laughs> Jr. do that, I'm just like, are you crazy? I'm like, it was second and two. 
you should you should get the first down like you don't don't need to do this but anyway he's a funny character it's like the backup quarterback when they come in and they get a first down on qb sneak on third third down and they like run up like four steps and they give like the super first down (laughs) point and it's like dude you had to go six inches the uh, the defense has to line up a yard back Yeah. yeah you should get the first down and if you don't you shouldn't be running QB sneaks. It's annoying. But by the way, I hate that we do this where told you, you this know, is going to be old white person radio. I was afraid. No, no, of no. It, but. It's not about that. <laughs> about we did it with the Calgary game and now we're doing it with the Edmonton game where we yeah. focus more on the team that lost because I know. I know. Montreal looked phenomenal. They're great. They, they are, they're so excited to Kahari Jones. There was Instagram videos of him going out, uh, uh, you know, during warmups before the game and he was dancing to the music. Oh, yeah. And it was great. And I'm like, that's Kahari Jones. That was a veteran in the CFL for a very long time, a very good quarterback and probably a Hall of Fame you know, player. And now he is a head coach for a Montreal team that just followed up a grand 2019 turnaround. Nobody saw the turnaround coming in 2019 because we saw it. We saw it in Hamilton at training camp with Johnny Football there. Vern Adams Jr. was also in that quarterback group. Vernon Adams Jr., he was asking to, like, run kicks back to try to get a roster spot. We never thought he was going to ever become anything as a quarterback. We were all wrong. And he's playing well. And it's kind of along the same lines as Zach Kalaros. He doesn't have to put up crazy production. He just has to make enough plays with his feet because he has the ability to do so. And through the air, enough plays to win a football game. And that's what he's doing in Montreal. And if that defense can play as well as they did, you know, this week, then I think Montreal is going to be pushing. I want to say the Ticats for the East division, but at this point I have no bleeping idea. (laughs) (laughs) I'm with you on that. Uh, I do love Montreal. I I felt, I felt bad. I felt dumb for not picking them and not respecting them. They were three point underdogs. I didn't expect them maybe to win either. I wanted them to cover the spread, I just, Uh, but they went out and they punched Edmonton in the face. My whole thing with that is just that I hadn't seen them. I didn't. And I, that defense really scares me on paper. I mean, up front, yes, they've got Woody Barron and I think they've got some good playmakers in their defensive secondary. And, uh, but I just, I just didn't know. I didn't know. And they actually moved bodies up front on Edmonton better than I thought they would with the offensive line too. And like William Sean... Stanback is still a yeah, absolute he's a beast. Yeah. Uh, but like Sean Jameson has moved into center. Christian Matt's at the right guard spot. Tony Washington's over at the left tackle. I mean, it's, it's not on paper the greatest line, but they moved Edmonton up front in a way that I did not expect. And then, yeah, VA has got to pick his spots. But the funny thing is on the last play of the game before the kneel downs, Vernon Adams Jr. breaks into the open field and makes the nastiest like little juke move and runs for 13 yards for a first down on second and 10. And then they can just kneel out the clock. And when I saw that, I'm like, he didn't even have to use that tool. Like in his skill set, never once in that game did he have to break out the I'm the most athletic quarterback in the CFL move. He was just playing quarterback. And I also love, and this might get a little old as the season goes on for people, but TSN getting the shot of VA before every drive started taking that big inhale and then exhaling and relaxing and then stepping into the huddle that might look cheesy to some people. He needs that. And you and I know this from being around him in Hamilton, Kyle, he was so unfocused. He was a jitterbug. We were in the cafeteria Epic master during training camp where he was like coming in in PJs and had his headphones on and was sitting by himself and was like watching cartoons on his iPad instead of watching film. And it was just like, I'm like, who 
is this guy? I'm like, no wonder he's bounced around. And I know he's supremely talented, but he just doesn't seem to have figured out what he has to do to get ready. When I see him actually maturing and like being a leader and holding himself accountable and calming down his heart rate when he steps onto the field, I thought he was going to regress this season. After watching game one, I take that back. I don't think he's going to regress. I think he's going to continue to grow. And I think Montreal is going to be very, very good this year because of that. Yeah, he's definitely taken steps in his progression as a passer. We always knew the athletic ability was mm-hmm. there. But because Danny Machocha and Kahari Jones collectively have kind of shored you know, up the, the offensive line, if Vernon Adams Jr. and William Stanback in the backfield, they can run some sort of read option package. Good luck mm-hmm. trying to defend them with the speed that Vernon Adams Jr. has. And now he can throw in, you know, those dump off passes because he's progressed as a passer. I think Montreal's offense can do some damage this year, um, especially with maybe some, you know, shaky defense in, I'll be honest. I don't think the defense is as good in Ottawa as they think through week one, <laughs> just because I think they ran into an offense that was absolutely horrible uh, in, in that first week. Um, but Hamilton too, I think there's some um, cracks in Hamilton's defense. Injuries have played a part in that. But I think Montreal can do some damage in the East Division this year. And through the first two weeks, yes, Montreal has only played one game, but they look to be the cream of the crop in the division. Yep, absolutely. Uh, all right, let's move on to Vernon Adams Jr.'s old home, one of them, uh, not Saskatchewan, not, not BC, uh, <laughs> no. Hamilton, uh, that we are talking about is he's uh, only about five teams away from the Kevin Glenn mark of uh, being on every roster in the CFL. Hopefully, he never played for the Elks. That's true. Yeah, that's true. Uh, or but, the previous name that's somewhat questionable. Uh, I always <laughs> Very feel, questionable. I feel weird when we hear it on the broadcast now once in a while because they officially, people that are just drafted or just played for Edmonton in 2021 have only ever been Elks. But what do you call people that used to be part of Edmonton on the broadcast? Because factually correct, they were Edmonton Eskimos. Like that, that was the team yeah. name when they were there. But you can hear everybody on the broadcasts just kind of like slowly as they get close to it. They're like, ah, yes, that's, uh, you know what? You're going to hear <laughs> this on Labor Day. I guarantee there'll be a moment. Whoever's calling those games on Labor Day where Calvin McCarty, goes into the game for Calgary against Edmonton. Ah, there's Calvin McCarty, of course, the longtime former Edmonton football team member. Yeah. Like, that's what, that's been the move on the broadcast, <laughs> is Edmonton football team member. And I'm like, man, that oh. is starched. Well, uh, Dustin Nielsen, he pulled that uh, this week. I think he got to a spot where he's like, oh, crap, I don't want to say that team name. He was talking about Jason Moss. Yeah. He's like, Jason Moss, uh, offensive coordinator, Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Uh, he was the head coach in Edmonton with the – Oh, crap. Yeah, with <laughs> and the, then you put yourself in a corner. <laughs> yeah, with the... Anyways, uh, so... <laughs> just Come on, to, Dwayne, pull me out of this. Yeah, you're just trying to move along. But Dustin was great, by the way, again this week. Man, yeah, his, his really calls, good. His calls in this Hamilton-Saskatchewan game that we're going to break down right now, I thought were awesome, including the interception that went off of Banks' hands um, and was picked off by, I think, Blaze Brown, if not mistaken. But, uh, okay, so I... Uh, here's my thing with Hamilton, Okay. Uh, and I don't, I don't want to you and I, Kyle, just because of our history with the Ticats covering them. It's, it's very obvious when we do this show that we have a deeper understanding of Hamilton football stuff yeah. than all the other teams. It's why we lean into some of the Hamilton stuff. And I know that we have a lot of people that are Ticats fans or that like listening to us talk Ticats. So we want to talk this for you, but I don't want to get stuck in the mud for an hour here because we could, <laughs> if we were on morning radio, we would be doing a three hour show. On tomorrow morning, you know, Monday morning, Tuesday morning, 
talking about where to go from here and picking apart all of the issues. I'm going to simplify this into three things, okay? And they're all interconnected and they're all on the offensive side because that's where I really believe they've had their biggest struggles. Because again, in Hamilton's first two games, right, they end up losing 19 to six, as I mentioned, to Winnipeg. Well, I mean, 19 points given up is not bad for that defense. Like that's not terrible. You should not be sad about that. 30 to eight against Saskatchewan. But again, it's the problems with the offense that set up short fields that end up flipping the tide and making that look like a bit of a blowout. So they have not reached double digits in either game. So I'm going to focus on offense. Here are the three things that I would like to simplify and break down for you. One, Brandon Banks. I don't know if I can say hurt, but Brandon Banks has something wrong with his midsection. Yeah, his ribs. He's holding it every time. And I don't know why this hasn't been brought up on the broadcast or the analysis because everyone's saying that, well, maybe Trevor Harris is, is dinged up or there's something going on there with the mental side where he's not prepared for the season. I'm like, okay, that's fine. I'm telling you that Brandon Banks game one wasn't mentioned. And I noticed it when I watched it back today, because I watched back both games today closely game one, there was something wrong there. I don't know if he took a hit in that game. I went looking for a hit to see whether or not he might've injured a rib in that first matchup. Couldn't find it. Game two, same thing, same spot. After every play, wincing, looks winded. Like there's something that's wrong with Brandon Banks' midsection. And on the interception that I mentioned that I really liked the call by Dustin Nielsen where Blaze Brown picks it off, they got Brandon Banks to the wide side of the field running an 18-yard dig route. And it's a catch I've seen him make before, get up between traffic. He scored a touchdown against Montreal in Montreal a couple years ago on this play where Masoli basically works the boundary, flips his hips, comes back to the field, drops it over the middle linebacker. They get like a cover two look and he drops it in and Banks catches it and he's off of the run as he splits right down between the hashes. And Banks went up to try and grab it and the free safety was coming down and he kind of short-armed it. And he short-armed it Yeah, and he he looked and his head was fully looking at the defender coming in and he went, hell no. And he tucked and because he short-armed, kept his armpits down inside like this, didn't reach up all the way, it bounces off his hands, it gets intercepted. At that point, the game's over, who cares? But to me, that was like, okay, he's not only after plays is he hurting, this is affecting his actual gameplay. So yeah. with Braylon Addison out, with Devere Posey out, and Brandon Banks not being a shell of himself, but not being 100%, that's the first thing. The second thing, I love K. Okafor. Let me preface this by saying, I love K. Okafor, his story. He's an incredibly nice human being to talk to. Uh, I hope that he continues to have success and, and stays on rosters in the CFL. But at this point, it is reckless to keep K. Okafor in the yep. football game. Okay. And I, and I hate saying that because I love him and I, I love seeing Canadian stories that a defensive lineman from St. FX who is developing behind some great pros over the last couple of years. But a couple of things have jumped out to me with K. Okafor. And it's not just him, it's the offensive line as a whole, which I'll get into in a second. So, again, try not to get stuck in the mud on this stuff and go too deep on it. But hey, we're here. Uh, there are times in the game where K. Okafor is pass setting and he's oversetting by like two yards. Like he's jumping out of his state. It's almost like somebody put on an instructional DVD for someone who's never played offensive line before. And they just take whatever's on the tape as the gospel. And then they're jumping out of their stance. There's <laughs> there was a running play where he backed up like four yards into the backfield on his own before he was ever touched. Uh, there was several plays in the game. And again, against Willie Jefferson and Jackson Jeffcoat, I'm not going to fault you. Like those guys are freaks. But in terms of fundamentally giving yourself an opportunity, like he's got a narrow base. 
he's not able to square up. He, he's got strength. He's got length. He's got all these physical attributes. He's just not using them. And he's, he's jumping out of his stance. He's got a bad lean and angle. He's punching and whiffing. And like I brought it up on last week's show, there was a play that Willie Jefferson just gave him the old, da, 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 just like karate chopped the arms and was in the backfield. Well, Chris Van Zyl comes back and they kick him from right tackle to left tackle. And I'm watching back the Winnipeg game in week one. And I'm like, if AC Leonard has a pulse, he's going to have three sacks. Yeah. Because K.O. Kafour is not, he's not ready to play in the Canadian Football League at this point. And from there, you start to realize, okay, so why is he playing in the Canadian Football League at this point? And you realize the Ticats didn't have a backup plan. Like, I understand Trevon Tate, if he was healthy, would have been in, but he wasn't. And they any, still don't. He wasn't any better than K.O. Kafour. So, the idea that they're playing Kay Okafor and not Jesse Gibbon, Kyle, I said last week that I thought Gibbon was going to play at tackle before Kay Okafor was going to get bounced to the other tackle. Well, in week two, Gibbon doesn't play. Coulter Woodmans, he was on the roster, but becomes a scratch right before game time. And Kay Okafor is the left tackle. I went back and watched the Winnipeg game where Gibbon came in and played right guard. He's playing the game like he's still a Waterloo. Like he's getting walked backwards at the end of plays. There's a play where... They didn't even twist the end in the tackle. He basically just was like head up on us. It's not sales. I forget what his name is. Number 90 for Winnipeg, new defensive lineman that came in from the XFL. There's a play where that dude takes two hard steps upfield. And Jesse Gibbon is like not even beat, but it's like he kind of even with him. Like it no longer does Gibbon have the advantage and the angle and the protection. He's even with him. He's hip to hip. And Gibbon's feet just stop. And then this 90 dude for Winnipeg just like runs around the corner and gets a hit on the quarterback. So when I say I thought Gibbon was going to be a tackle, I don't think you can put that. He gave up so much penetration in week one against Winnipeg yeah. that you can't. So now, now you got Woodmancy. He's too young. He's not ready. Gibbon looks like he's not ready. Okafor is definitely not ready to be in that spot. Trevon Tate's out. And the point of me saying all of this is to tell Ticats fans, it's going to get worse before it gets better. I'm sorry to say that. But this is not going to improve. The protection and the way that it's rushing Masoli to make throws that he doesn't want to make and he's throwing backpedaling and off balance. Half of the snaps on second and long, they're rolling the pocket a full roll to the field. They're not doing that because Masoli is this master of throwing on the run and he's more accurate doing it, which he's pretty good at it. But they're not doing it because of that. They're doing that to try and move the pocket and get him the hell away from the rush because they can't block. So anyways, that's my long-winded rant on offensive line stuff you can have your take on. And then the last thing is just um, that I'll I'll get into it afterwards with Masoli and Evans because I'm sure we're going to talk about that. But yeah, for me, it's it's, uh, Banks is not himself. And the offensive line, the Canadian depth that we thought that they had, Filer's gone, Riker Matthews is gone in free agency. You move Sirocco inside. He's holding his own, doing his thing. I didn't see a lot of things. That one of the had. snaps that Dane Evans dropped, it was it was low. Yes, yeah, uh, that was one. That was Sirocco, but in terms yeah. of protection, I think that he's done a pretty good job of being able to to make calls and work on who to send guys to and all the rest and working one-on-one with defensive tackles. He's holding his own. Yeah. But, I mean, Van Zyl obviously got beat bad the one time that Masoli looked like he landed on his left shoulder. And he that- looked a little slow and it, yeah. a, little, a little rusty I think after the injury and maybe a long training camp or not getting enough he hasn't played football in camp. so long and yes. everybody has a week under them yeah. and I think that's where you know Chris Van Zyl maybe struggled a little bit yeah um Anyways, I've, I've been rambling forever go ahead yeah Sorry. no I, I it was along the same lines um I thought the offensive line is the biggest issue 
um, with the Ticats because I think their offense is the big issue, issue right now. Um, on defense, maybe there's some problems there, um, but I think injuries are having a major hand in that. Um, when you don't have Dylan Wynn and Ted Laurent and you essentially have, you know, uh, newcomers to the CFL playing up there, um, it's going to be really tough to really make your mark and change the game defensively. But on the offensive side, you have to score points. Uh, I say that all the time in the CFL. You can lean on a defense, but at some point, your offense has to make a play. And the Ticats offense can't make plays right now. Even the touchdown the Ticats scored, it was like pulling bleeping teeth. Yeah. It's like what they have three snaps from the one yard line before Jeremiah Masoli got in. Like it's a, it's it's a, a problem. If Saskatchewan knows where the white line is in front of their face, they don't score a touchdown there. <laughs> and, and this in this game ends up being uh, thirty to two, or you know what I mean. It looks thirty so to much, one. Yeah. Thirty to one. It would have looked so much worse if they hadn't got in there. And it, yeah, it's it's so many little errors that keep packing. There, Kyle, there was one play that I actually felt bad for Masoli because it was a running back screen trying to get it to Thomas Erlington. Which, by the way, my God, they're throwing the football a lot to Thomas Erlington, which I'm not against, but. Uh, is that I mean, fix? you have to. Is John Thomas Erlington's trying to pick up blitzes and pick up blocks that were missed, and he's like, screw it. I think the best play or best course of action here is for me to just check and get out in the open and yeah. hope for a dump off because it's the only thing our offense can do. That's why he's getting catches. I always say this. If your running back is getting six or seven catches a day and they're not playing screen passes – your offense is probably not doing that well. Yeah, you're just trying to get the ball out as quickly yeah. as possible. And he's the best. You're right. He's the best option. And there was a couple of plays like against Winnipeg one time. It looked like uh, Willie Jefferson was responsible for peeling with the running back, which for those of you that aren't uh, football heads essentially just means that if the running back stays in, then you keep blitzing. And if the running back decides to release to the flats, then you got to run with them. And uh, it, it looks like that's the way that Richie Hall coaches that because I saw Big Hill do that as well to a running yeah. back this this past week against Toronto. But and I think another you know aspect of the Ticats struggles, Sean Thomas Erlington can't get going running the football. Yeah, and well, obviously pass, yeah, pass protection is different than run blocking. But if you're not doing either, then you're not stopping the pass rush. And if you're not producing on first down then good luck trying to stop, you know, not only the rushing four of the uh, you know, opposition's four, uh, defensive four, but also blitzes and things like that. Like, good luck trying to allow time for your receivers to get downfield and make plays. And I think at the receiver position, too, the Ticats are going through some things. Like, I think Jalen Acklin has been, at least through the first two games of the season, in the best tie cat? He, he is. I can tell you, I have tracked the games and tracked the product, production grade on every throw so far from Masoli, and Acklin is the most productive receiver for the Tiger Cats so far. But outside of Acklin, like Brandon Banks, like you said, you know, he has something wrong with his ribs or his midsection um, that's hampering him a little bit. And then, you know, you don't have Addison, you don't have Devere Posey. David Unger is, you know, just stepping on the field basically for the first time um, because the first year he was in Hamilton, he got few opportunities to do so like the Ticats all their problems have you know converged at the same time and it's like putting out you know a flood when you don't have enough fingers to plug the holes mm -hmm. and yeah. I don't know what the Ticats do from here in Orlando Steinauer um, but the worst part about this yes you have a bye week so you have an extra week to fix it okay then you come back and you're on the road again yeah and you're facing a Montreal team that through their first game, 
look like world beaters, at least in the East Division, because they look phenomenal. Um, so Montreal's got Calgary this week too, so they should get another victory and then be two and zero with some momentum and come home to play. I mean, uh, even if they go down to Calgary, like Calgary has to change it at some point too, right? Let's say Montreal's one and one going up against the Ticats, they're going to have the upper hand in that game. And being at home, you know, because I've been you know writing articles about point spreads and things like that. Montreal's probably a six-point favorite in that game against the Ticats team that hasn't shown anything. And as for the quarterback situation, I feel bad for Jeremiah because he hasn't had time to throw the ball. Dane Evans has stepped in. It's kind of been the same thing. So can yes. you replace Jeremiah? At this point, I would leave Jeremiah in one more game just because I think the Ticats are at the point, and this might be a year of struggle for the Ticats. And I know – that's a lot to say only after two games, but from what I see and what the you're talking about, the signs, the signs are, there. are there that yeah. this is not going to get better anytime soon. The Ticats don't have a left tackle. Look, <laughs> is Trevante injured? I don't know, but me and you know this in the Canadian football league teams put guys on the one game injured list because they have to put them somewhere. They don't want to put them on the practice roster. So they'll throw them on the injured list for a game. If they want to you know, sit them, Trevante didn't play well week one. And now Kay Okrafer goes out there, and I said last week, well, if he's bad on the right side, not going to put him on the left side. Well, they put him on the left side, and he was bad again. Yeah. What do you do now? You got, like, Jordan Murray, who's essentially a rookie in the CFL, sitting on the bench. Can he step in, or he's on the practice roster? He's, you know, come in and help the offensive line. And then you have Joe Bensi, the Canadian offensive lineman. Outside of that, like, I don't think the answers are in-house for the Ticats. They honestly might have to start chipping to help if they keep Okafor in. They did that on the first drive of yeah. the season when they scored the touchdown. They were helping K. Okafor so much on that side. Well, what David Ungerer is... came in and cleaned up, um, you know, the, I, I can't remember who it was, cleaned up the guy rushing on that side. Um, it was Willie Jefferson. And then you had other guys step in, Nikola Kalinic, Sean well, Thomas Erlington were chipping. Every single play, it might have to be Kalinic chipping and then just running a check down. Because I don't know if they can protect otherwise. They're at that point right now with their offensive line. It is that so much bad. pressure to put on your defense because your defense can't make any mistakes. If you go down 14 points, it, you're screwed because yeah. you have to, you know, be able to sling the ball around and you can't if the quarterback doesn't have time. And yeah, you can roll the pocket and put Masoli on the move. But when you do that, it also cuts off the side of the field. And it's easier to play defense against you. And, and this isn't a shot against Kalinich because having him on the field is usually a good thing situationally. But if you're going to have him chip just to make sure that your quarterback is protected, you're just wasting a body. And the other team is just going to rush four. And now they've got an extra person dropped in coverage without a person running a route in front of them, which means they're free to release and go pick off the football. So the whole equation is you are one person off because you are there's a hole right now on the offensive line yeah. that, that needs to be addressed. So the quarterback stuff... I want to dig into here for a couple of minutes. And um, the one play that I, I felt bad for Masoli that I think really showed that it wouldn't have mattered much how he actually was playing, which I'll get to as well, uh, was that there was a running back screen that they were trying to set up for Thomas Arlington that I mentioned before uh, we went on our tangent about throwing him the ball and why they're doing that so much, is that he's trying to set up a screen to the left and a linebacker from Saskatchewan recognizes it and jumps Sean Thomas Arlington. K. Okafor is getting pushed deep into the backfield by that monster. I think 99, I'm pretty sure, is his uh, number from Saskatchewan. I watch a lot of football. I'm already having trouble remembering <laughs> names. Um, but, yeah, they, he's a new name that I'm not really familiar with, a defensive end who I believe had a sack and a fumble in the recovery in that game. But, anyways, he 
he's pushing KO Kafour into the backfield, which is fine because it looked like KO Kafour was content to just kind of anchor. And maybe that was coached that way because they didn't want to rely on K getting out in space because I don't know, maybe they don't trust him. I don't know. It's we're at that point where I'm trying to figure out what all of the stuff I'm seeing means, but they try to release Brandon Revenberg out into space, which is the smartest thing you can do for the Ticats. Cause he's just an absolute murderer yeah. in, in the open field. Darius Sirocco is trying to get out and they're trying to get uh, whoever's playing at the right guard out there as well. And so they end up trying to release a couple of guys, but because Sean Thomas Arlington has been taken away by this linebacker from Saskatchewan that has seen, Jeremiah Masoli looks for somebody else to throw to, steps up in the pocket because he's like, pump, okay, can't go there, steps up and looks, and it's Poppy White and Tim White. It's the White brothers, and uh, <laughs> and they are blocking. There's no, there's no routes available. No. So Jeremiah's jumping forward in the pocket, hoping to find somebody open with a running back that's been taken away and no other routes available. Yeah. And, and he just gets dropped for a sack. And, and now I'm, you have Jalen Acklin who has played well through the first two games or Brandon Banks who may or may not be at 50%. Like you're leaving very limited options for the quarterback. And I, I couldn't see, I couldn't see where there was any other routes, whether Acklin or Banks might have been open or around, but they certainly weren't within range. It looked like they had just run go, go routes to get rid of people. So it's like, I don't know what Masoli's supposed to do there. And that's just one play, but that's yeah. that's the symptom of the disease that we're talking about right now for Hamilton is that there's just with so many plays like that where people just take turns. Yeah. And, and you just end up having either a very good defensive play, but there's always a counter to a great defensive play. Okay, he jumps us. A lot of times teams will run like a little, uh, you know, stagger or stutter slant to the outside where it's like, my vision is here. Screen gets jumped, taken away. Okay. If the linebacker jumps down, I got a slant right behind it from a receiver. Like give, give me options, build in things. And Tommy Condell does a great job with this offense and builds in a lot of different things. But I saw that play and I'm like, what the hell is he supposed to do? Uh, now I want to go into on this quarterback stuff, something that jumped out to me that I thought was really interesting. Okay. And it is uh, that I put together the target charts for Jeremiah Masoli. Okay. Game number one, he had three completions beyond 15 yards, okay? Three completions beyond 15 yards. One of them was the Ackland touchdown on the first drive. There were basically a couple of rail shots as well down the sidelines, but other than that, nothing over 15 yards. He didn't even attempt a pass between the hashes beyond the line of scrimmage in week one. <laughs> beyond the line of Nothing in the middle of Nothing the attempted. No, that is, that is, I believe that's 24 yards of field, something like that. That it, or 17 yards. That's what it is. I think it's 17 yards is what the hash is. So you've just given the defense 17 yards in the middle of the field for the entire game without even taking a single shot down yeah. the middle of the field. So that's week one. Okay. That was against Winnipeg, getting your feet wet back into the game, whatever you want to say in week number two. Okay. They took some shots down the middle. They missed them all. They were all incomplete. The deepest completion. And again, if you want to see these target charts, they're up by the time that you're listening to this podcast on our CFP uh, Instagram page at CF perspective, you can go there and flip through all of them and see where these quarterbacks are hitting and missing and all the rest. Cause I love putting these together, but Jeremiah Masoli did not complete a pass from the right hash to the left sideline beyond five yards in the game against Saskatchewan. Okay. Again, let me say this again, the right hash. Okay which is, uh, you know, 17 or 24 yards off the sideline, whatever it is. Then you go 17 yards from hash to hash, I think it is, 12 from the hash to the top of the numbers, 12 from the numbers to the sideline. So now you've got 17, 12, 12, 
right? You're looking at 30, whatever my math is here, 41 yards, something like that, that is not even an, an attempt from the right hash to the left sideline beyond five yards. How are you supposed to play in the CFL like that? He had yeah. Kyle behind the line of scrimmage. So in this game, can you shout out to me his his box score, Jeremiah Masoli? Because I'm wondering how many of his attempts, uh, you know, percentage-wise, were behind the line of scrimmage. Because this is a weird thing that I've picked up on for the Ticats this year. Behind the line of scrimmage, he had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight passes that were attempted behind the line of scrimmage that uh, that they decided to go with in this game. How many attempts total did he have? So he had 25 attempts. He was 17 of 25 for 135, no touchdowns, two picks. Okay, so 30, 32%. So essentially a third of Jeremiah Masoli's attempts are behind the line of scrimmage right now. Now I bring up all of this as a means of setting up why I think you bring in Dane Evans and why I think he ends up getting the start when they come back in Montreal. Now, maybe you wait on it. Because, like you say, you want to give Jeremiah another game. He, you think that he's earned that right and all the rest. But he's been inaccurate. He's been pressured. He's been sporadic. He's made some bad decisions. He's throwing across his body. He's, he's doing all the things that Jeremiah has always been knocked for since he's been in the CFL. But I just wanted to pull this up, okay? So yards per attempt throwing the football uh, in the second game here against Saskatchewan. Uh, yards in air for Masoli. The average... Uh, was 6.32. Okay, six yards down the field is the average of where he is throwing the football. Dane Evans came in, right? Didn't play all that great and had 14 attempts, and but his average was 13.5 yards per attempt. So Dane Evans is throwing the ball seven yards deeper per target and actually challenging the defense in a way that, again, Jeremiah had a game and three quarters yeah, and hasn't forced the ball down the field and hasn't been able to complete when he has. Dane at least was taking some some shots here to try and spread the ball out and and make some plays. And again, he was I, three of ten. No, I understand that. I totally. <laughs> and again, he wasn't very effective. He was inefficient. Yeah. All the rest. But I realized very quickly watching this game, there's a complete different style of play here. Like Dane Evans' passing attempts, he had throws of. 10, 13, 16, 18, 23, 32, 33, and 33. Again, that's with him just coming into the game. Masoli, his longest ones were 13, 16, 16, 21, 23, 27, 41. And I'm not saying that deeper is always better, right? These are all in context. But what I am saying is Dane came in and was trying to challenge the defense in a way that with three quarters less to play with, he had the same number of deep throws. The three deepest throws in this entire game on Saturday against Saskatchewan were Dane Evans throws. And he only played essentially in the fourth quarter and a couple of minutes in the third. So I think Dane is going to approach the game differently. And I think at this point, you owe Dane the opportunity to go in there and see whether or not he can turn around the fortunes of an own two football team when you only get 14 games to play with this year. They're playing a different style. Jeremiah is struggling. I don't know why you would just go into Montreal in a week after a bye and say, well, we hope that's changed. I think you have to try something different at this point. Yeah. It's desperation time for Hamilton. You're own two. Montreal looks good. Toronto looks good. Ottawa somehow has more wins than you, despite the fact that they played in Edmonton and had a bye week. So I think you have to go with Evans and you have to get some of these receivers back healthy. And hopefully the bye week helps Brandon Banks heal up with whatever he's dealing with. Yeah. Looking at the schedule hindsight, the Tigers that have a horrible Brutal. start to the schedule, like Awful. the two best yeah. teams is essentially in the CFL, both on the road. Yeah. It's very tough uh, for the Ticats. 
I'm almost at the point where I don't think it matters right now who you start at quarterback because I think you have way bigger issues. Yeah. And usually in football, that's not the case. Usually in football, if your quarterback's struggling, oh, okay, let's replace the quarterback. But the Ticats have structure problems on their offense right now, and it starts with that offensive line. I should have mentioned this before we started talking about Masoli versus Evans. Changes on the offensive line. I think one thing the Ticats need to do, I don't think the answer is in-house. I think they need to go out and get a center because I think Darius Sirocco, I'm not putting this on Darius Sirocco with struggles at the center position. You need to have him at that right guard spot because if you have Revenberg and you have Sirocco, you have guys who have been there before and you've had success with. Yes, you don't have Mike Filer, and that's a huge loss, but I think you're going to have a better time with a guy who's an experienced center from the outside coming in and NFL cuts still need to happen and things like that coming in and changing things for the tie cats. Cause if you can do that, essentially Revenberg, this new center, Sirocco and Chris Van Zyl, at least you have the right side of that offensive line shored up again, right? Yeah. Having this John Yarborough and no disrespect to him alongside Chris Van Zyl. And I think Van Zyl will be better um, coming up against Montreal next week. Um, but I just don't like the makeup of this offensive line right now. What did June Jones always say? He didn't like moving guys at a position because of injuries, because now instead of replacing one guy, well, now you got three guys playing new positions and he doesn't want that. Right. With Filer leaving, maybe they couldn't find a center or find anybody competent enough to fill that role. Darius Sirocco is a hell of a right guard in the CFL. Keep him there. Don't try to change him around. Don't try to put him at center. I think they need to get somebody in there between Rev and between Darius Sirocco because right now I think Revenberg is having a headache on trying to fix whatever's wrong with this offensive line because Revenberg, for as great as he is, he's not on an island, right? Up the middle, you're never on an island. It's not like, oh, you're at left tackle and you just pick up that, you know, beast rusher like Jackson Jeffco. It's not the case. Revenberg needs the guys around him to have success as well so the Ticats can have success. Um, he can't fix everything by himself. So I'd like to see the Ticats go get a center, put Sirocco back at that right guard spot and have some continuity, some sort of look of it um, moving forward this season. And maybe you can at least take a step in fixing these issues on the offensive line. I, uh, it's very well said by you. I was just laughing when you brought up the June Jones, don't move two players because of an injury, no. move, move one and have one replacement because Ben Grant, our good buddy from X's and Argos is doing an amazing job, by the way. Like I shout out to Ben Grant. He's on zoom calls, post game. Hey Ben, to... stop putting my articles to shame. <laughs> He's, he is doing such a good job covering the Argonauts. People need to go check him out. If you, yeah, if you don't know at Ben underscore underscore grant or at X's and Argos as well as where you can find it. But I laugh because he sent out a tweet on Friday night when the Argos were playing the Bombers that said, quote, when left tackle Dijon Allen went down, the Argos moved Philip Blake to left tackle, Peter Nicastro to center, <laughs> and Shane Richards came in at left guard. No! And, 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 and he puts at the end of the tweet, that can't be the answer. <laughs> and it, it was like, yeah, one person twists an ankle, 
and four changes happen on your offensive line. I'm like, Oh my God, that is just, it, that doesn't seem like that makes a lot of sense either. So uh, anyways, it's uh, it, it was a crazy one for the tie cats. They got a lot of things to figure out. It's good. They have the, as for week. the rough riders, hell of a week. They yeah. look great against way the to go cats. Saskatchewan. That's all we got for you, you guys. Yeah. look Great. William Powell's oh. a beast. Cody for Cody Fajardo is mentally playing the game. This is just what I'll say on him he's mentally playing the game faster than everybody in the league right now. Like yeah. Vernon Adams Jr. included, Zach Kalaros included. Cody is making decisions so quickly, it's terrifying because he's only <laughs> going to get better as the season goes on being with Jason Moss longer. He's making reads faster. He's getting the ball out quicker. He's seeing the field better than he did previously. And the funny thing is, when and this was a great stat that was brought up on the CFL and TSN broadcast, that only Chris Strebler had more rushing yards as a quarterback than Cody Fajardo did in 2019. And Chris Strebler didn't lead the CFL in passing yardage, which Cody Fajardo did. So to go from that second best rushing quarterback behind a guy that was basically just a running back. Yeah. And also be that good of a passer. And now he's getting better and he's seeing the field quicker and he's getting rid of the ball. It's just like Saskatchewan is so good. And I can't wait to watch and break down bombers and riders coming up on labor day in a couple of weeks we got some great games before we get there but at this point yeah. as we said earlier that is that's the matchup at this point for cody fajardo i would say the one thing and you you mentioned this the fact that he is getting better as a passer i think that needs to continue um because i think the durability question is still there with him anytime you have a running quarterback you're gonna have durability problems like this guy is, you know, 220 pounds getting tackled by guys who are 310 pounds. It's just a lot. They rolled up on his legs this week and he limped back no, into the huddle I know. And, it, and it was like, okay, that's bad. We can't have that. Right. And Cody Fajardo is the type of quarterback that if he does get out in the open field, do you think he's sliding? No, he's not sliding. He's going to go ahead first and try to run over defensive back. And it's like, okay, yeah, it looks cool on tape, but you need to stay healthy. The riders are going to be in the playoffs. You need to be healthy towards the end of the season. And I think last year he wasn't. Um, so the durability question is still there for Cody Fajardo as a starting quarterback. He has improved immensely, at least through the first two weeks of the season. We'll see where his trajectory goes. Um, but for the riders, you got to be fair, feel very comfortable. And I'm with you in that matchup against the bombers on labor day. I actually think the, 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 the riders can put up some points on that bombers offense uh, defense, and it's going to force Zach. And I mentioned it earlier. Zach doesn't need to put up the 350 production, but he has to make enough plays to win a game. And if Cody Fajardo can put the heat on Winnipeg's offense, I think Saskatchewan can have some success and be the best team in the CFL this year, but they need their quarterback healthy towards yeah. the end of the season. And I worry for Cody Fajardo. Uh, <laughs> I also, this is a bit of a niche reference, but I realized when Cody had that 14 yard rushing touchdown in this game against the Ticats on Saturday night, he runs like quarterbacks in the old NCAA EA sports video <laughs> game do where they're just like shuffling, but they're outrunning everybody. Cause if you go back and you watch it and if people that played this video game, you'll get the joke, but there was this thing where they never really raised their knees. Like they were never really running. It was just like their feet were floating across the ground and they were just moving their arms in very short little choppy movements. He did that. And he ran in that touchdown. Cause he yeah. just it, it ran everybody. And I was like, that's the play that used to piss me off when I was playing that NCAA <laughs> football video game where the quarterback would score and you'd be like, but he didn't even look like he was running. He's just gliding across the ground, but again, he's that smooth. And I also, there was a picture of him uh, that came up on the, on the CFL and TSN, you know, a bumper graphic when they were going to break of him standing there, like a power pose holding the football. And he's got this white Fitbit 
that's on in the power pose. And I was like, well, that's kind of funny because obviously they try to dress them up in the full uniform and make it look like it's game day and take these photos that get used on the broadcast. I'm like, somebody just forgot to tell Cody to take his Fitbit off. But then I couldn't stop thinking about, man, I wonder how many steps he would have on his Fitbit if he played with yeah. it on in the game. And Cody tweeted back at me as we're recording this on Sunday and said, I have it on during practice. I usually have about 30,000 per practice. Wow. 30,000 steps in like a two, <laughs> in a two hour period. Like he never stops moving is what I learned about that. But it also made me think how long Kyle, until we have like coach wristbands that are just flexible digital screens so that if you get hit, they don't, get, they don't get damaged, but it's like, why is that not electronic? We're still putting pieces of paper inside of a sleeve that yeah. sits on your wrist. Like, why can't we have essentially a, a, it's essentially the size of an iPhone. Like if you look at this on, on my wrist, if people are watching on YouTube for us, like, that's the quarterback coach thing where you should be able to have that just, and I don't know what the technology is to do that, but Hey, Fox 40, if you guys want to make some money, <laughs> yes. figure, figure out how to make the digital wristband for quarterbacks. And man, if you could call in plays from the sideline digitally with like notes and messages and things like that, you're going to make so much money. I actually think, uh, play call sheet should be just digital screens for coaches as well. Yeah. I'm sick and tired of seeing the oversized like uh, play calling sheet that covers the coach's like entire body when he's on camera. It's like, okay, you can't even see him. Like, for example, this, like this laptop bag, it like covers my entire body. This is like some play uh, coaches play call sheets. They're so damn big. You can't even see their face. I want just a little screen. Right. And they can like, just, swipe left if they don't want the plays <laughs> but i'm with you on the the quarterback uh, wristband on it just being you know digital and the you know the offensive coordinator just types in the play okay send it to him and it just the play comes up on his wrist and he doesn't have to look up the play and the package and things like that um so i'm down for the cfl to take that next step and start a trend um like uh, replays on pass interference before the NFL decided they were yeah. dumb enough or too stupid enough to, 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 to run that. What the hell are we doing here, though? I just Googled digital quarterback wristband or computer. Oh, it's a thing? No, no. I, I Googled oh. it, and it's, there's not even a result for it. Oh. Like, Marsh, has, get on it. Has nobody thought of this? Has nobody tried this? When, I, when you go to Amazon and you type in, like, digital quarterback wristband, there's one that's called the Y23 Wristband Interactive you open it up, it's just pieces of paper. Like, <laughs> like that's not, how is that like a super futuristic interactive experience? That's, it's so weird to me that this has not become a thing. And again, I probably should have just shut up and tried to patent it myself and make a lot of money. So I'm going to just go to Bob Young now and see whether or not he'll help me. Well, especially it. now, like phone screens, if you bend it, you can bend the screen. Like screens can get bent. So why can't you just put a little screen on a wristband? There's got to be a can, way. That can like withstand the pa the power of somebody hitting it and it not like shattering in a million pieces. There's got to be a way. If you if you build it, they will come. I'm speaking, down. Speaking of which, did you get goosebumps? That Field the Dream stuff. That baseball. Did you see that? No. Oh. No. oh man, that was so cool. Come on, you, you didn't get. Go I I'm not even a baseball guy. But I watched Field of Dreams because for yeah, some I saw Costner, but now Costner no, has no, no. done it to me in Yellowstone. <laughs> so yeah, that's true. Uh, <laughs> but for me, I watched Field of Dreams because it was inexplicably on APTN for some reason a couple of weeks ago. Oh, and APTN puts on some good programming, good movies sometimes. They had, they had Keanu Reeves and Speed on a couple of weeks Hell ago, yeah. too. Hell <laughs> yeah. Which, again, I whatever. Uh, I, but I watched Field of Dreams 
and I felt so nostalgic. And I didn't even know they were doing this Major League Baseball Field of Dreams thing. But they brought Field of Dreams, the movie, to life. And I swear to God, Kyle, I don't, I don't, I'm not romantic about baseball. I liked it a little bit when I was a kid. I've never been a huge baseball person. But when they had Aaron Judge and Giancarlo Stanton come walking out of the cornfield and the White Sox were in those old 1900s jerseys and uniforms. And like when they walked out of the cornfield, I only saw it on SportsCenter because I believe that was Thursday night when I was covering the, um, the, the CFL game. But I saw them walk out of the cornfield. My jaw dropped. I got goosebumps. I was standing by myself in front of the television. And I said out loud, holy shit. <laughs> it was the coolest thing I've ever seen in sports. I could not believe how that made me feel to just see a movie come to life in a cornfield in Iowa. That was the coolest thing I've ever seen. I don't know why I, I couldn't get over it. I still can't get over it. And the fact that like you ended up having a walk-off as well and the crowd's going crazy and the population of the town is smaller than the number of people that were in the crowd for this game and all this. I'm like, I just, I just wanted to bring that up before we got out of here because I'm like, that is, that is unbelievable. You don't feel the same enthusiasm for this that I do, I'm sensing. No, uh, no. <laughs> I was all about uh, the uh, beginning of the Premier League this week. Uh -huh. And to be honest, like, I I'm with you. Like, I used to be into to baseball more than I am, you know, and I wore a Blue Jays, uh, you know, uh, hat on, on last week's show. It's just baseball now, it's, it's, it's hard to follow because there's too many damn players on these teams. Like the Blue Jays, I watched the game today and there was more pitchers I've never seen before. I was like, I've probably watched 25 games this year. I have no idea who this guy is. Why is he on the Blue Jays? And why does he suck? Like, this is my point. Like baseball has been overmanaged to the point where I just can't watch it anymore. And to, to most batters where it's like, oh, hit a home run or strike out. I'm not a fan of that. I want to see catches. I want to see, you know. Thanks a lot, Larusa. Yeah, teams turn double plays, and it's, it's not happening. By the way, you want to get all uh, teary-eyed about uh, Field of Dreams. I got teary-eyed. Davis Webb, Buffalo Bills this week. Oh, week one of uh, NFL preseason leads the Bills to a victory. Davis <laughs> Webb, probably going to be the fourth-string quarterback in uh, Buffalo and probably won't even make the team. <laughs> uh, here is uh, Tim Anderson, who's the man who hit the home run to uh, punctuate this entire conversation. Uh, he hit the home run that was the walk-off in the Field of Dreams game out there in the cornfield that gave me the goosebumps and made me say, holy shit, as I was standing in a room by myself. <laughs> uh, he was on the Dan Levitard show a couple years ago, and he, it was after he won American League Player of the Month, and this is what he said. Tim, thank you for being on with us. Were you aware that there was a no-hitter pitched in baseball last night? Uh, I found out, I think I saw it this morning on Twitter. But, uh, you know, man, I'm not, I'm not really, you know, logged into the, into the baseball world. For real, I try to stay away from it, but you know I play the game, and uh, you know that's it. I leave it at that. Wait a minute, the AL Player of the Month is not logged on to baseball news. That's great. What is happening there? Mine is a boring sport. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the guy who plays God. baseball wins the AL Player of the, the Month. Way, says it's a boring sport. <laughs> how does that guy not get fined for conduct detrimental to the league? <laughs> Right, all these te all these players, they always get fined by the teams. Where it's like, yeah, our coach sucked tonight. Oh, that's a fine, detrimental to the team. <laughs> Charge! Yeah.
Oh boy. You remember when you were a kid and they would play that and get you all fired up? They don't play that anymore. I know. We got to bring it back. Told you this no. was going to be an old white person. By the way, I've been a, I've been a big fan uh, over the last uh, week watching uh, the Little League World Series. Credit to those kids. Um, by the way, the umpiring in, in those games, beyond bad. I don't know where the hell they get these guys. Um, there was a viral video that went out in the first game. Um, I think it was a team from Louisiana. <laughs> Pitch outside. This ball must have been two and a half feet outside. Strike! The look on the kid's face. What? He's like, are you kidding me? Just jaw dropped and it stayed there for like 15 seconds. And then he stepped back in the batter's box. He's like, okay, this guy behind me is an idiot. Uh, that's so bad. Uh, we're going to empty the uh, the baseball file here in the three-minute warning. Okay? <laughs> get ready. Get ready. Let's go. A little urgency. Here we go. Let's go. We're almost out of here. This is the three-minute warning brought to you by... Brought to you by George Springer, uh, landing against the outfield wall and messing up his ankle, it looked like. Immediately yep. gra grabbed his ankle the other night, so that's good. In baseball, uh, any wrong step, a guy's on the 15-day you know, injured list. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't get it. It's like a guy steps on first base wrong, that's it. He's up for two weeks. <laughs> it's like, God, can you guys like adapt? Like, is your, your body needs to be like Gumby, and these guys' bodies are built like the video game Roblox. That's true. Uh, <laughs> let's empty the baseball folder here of sound, Kyle. Let's listen in. Here we go. And that one is long gone. Take a good look. You won't see it for long. Second dick shot here in Texas. <laughs> and it's 4-2 to two Colorado. There you go. Little There's little an thing. E in there, buddy. <laughs> the first one you're waiting, did, did he get it enough? Was it going to be far enough? <laughs> this one, no doubter. That would have been out of Irving High School. <laughs> he maybe hit it to Irving. There you go. Uh, here we go. This is Sean Woodley <laughs> teaching us. Uh, actually, no, I don't want to play that one because it's too long. Uh, here is Donald Trump on watching old baseball games, kind of. But we have to get our sports back. I'm tired of watching baseball games that are 14 years old. But I haven't actually had too much time to watch. I would say maybe I watch one batter and then I get back to work. Uh, I miss his cadence. I don't miss him. God, I don't miss him at, at all. I just, I miss the way that he spoke and leaned into the microphone and played it up. He's a like, character. Like he was doing something special, but he hadn't really done anything. Uh, what do we got here? Uh, oh, yeah, classic. Coastal Carolina baseball coach. Oh, yeah. Trying to get our two boys ready to carry him to golf tournament for practice, right? 12 cats live across the road. Our door's open. Screen's broke. We need to get a new screen door. But the screen's broke, so you can come in through the screen, but you can't get back out of it. I turn and look. There's a little kitty cat in our in our kitchen. So I said, what are you doing in here, little kitty cat? By that time, the cat turns, tries to get back out. That screen won't go that way. Cat starts going all crazy. And I told our players, we need more dogs. Bo's barking in the back. I have to go shut Bo up. Mel's like, what's going on? I said, it's a cat in the house. Cat in the house. I said, yeah, it's a cat in the house. <laughs> so I told our players, I tried to let it out the front door. The cat's still going crazy in there. And I told our players, you need to be more like a dog. We don't need a bunch of cats in here. Looking in the mirror. Do I look good? I got my extra bands on. I got my other shoes on. Be a dog. We don't need no meows. We don't need no cats. We need swing and that's foul straight back and <laughs> off my computer. Oh my goodness. That just happened. <laughs> so my computer is uh, completely cracked and this just became one of the worst days I have had in quite some time. 
In baseball, if it rains, we don't come out to play. There's no crying in baseball. There you go. That is the baseball folder. Oh, I can't believe great. how uh, how good I know that Coastal Carolina baseball <laughs> coach bit. I've listened to that way too many times. Yeah. By the way, that guy talking about the extra bands, he has a point. There are some guys in baseball. <laughs> they have like eight bands. I, I saw a guy from the St. Louis Cardinals on highlight tape. He literally had red band, white band, red band, white band, all the way down his wrist. I'm like, dude, what the hell are you doing? Amazing. Uh, he is at Kyle underscore Mello underscore. I'm at TSN underscore Marsh. We are at Marshmallow. Thank you for tuning in to Canadian Football Perspective. And thank you, as always, to our good friends at Sawdust City Brewing. Go to sawdustcitybeer.com and use the promo code CFL to get yourself free shipping on orders over $100. And, of course, Fox 40, you're going to want to order their new digital electronic quarterback wristband coming out on shores, uh, on shores, on shelves <laughs> near you. I've talked too much. It's time for us to end the program. And the way that we're going to end the program today is the most exciting sound clip that I have in my entire library, Kyle Mello. Charge? I was actually thinking the other day, why don't people post photos of uh, the thing that they charge their cell phones with? What do, what do you call that, Kyle? The thing that you plug into the wall? Uh, the box? Uh, some people call it box. Some people use another uh, B word. A block? Yeah, there you go. Block or charge? Uh? <laughs> <laughs> I like it. <laughs> Let's see if we can make some lemonade out of this lemon that we're in the middle of. Turn a red light into a green light. Just keep living.